wow, we are we are so not excited about this, and I kind of love it. <laughs> There's a brilliant opening. <laughs> Welcome to Drock, the uh, the monthly podcast wherein we read through the complete Judge Dredd, the complete case files. And in this particular episode, um, we are reading uh, volume three of Judge Dredd, the restricted files, which are the stories that um, run from the annuals and the specials, what have you. Uh, it is important and imperative that I uh, introduce my lovely, charming, delightful, and knowledgeable co-host... Graham McMillan. I'm going to introduce my lovely and delightful and informative co-host because he hasn't named himself yet. That is true. Uh, it is I. I, in theory, unless he's got someone else up his sleeve and he just sort of axes me on air, which would be interesting. It'd be an interesting way to spice up this episode that I have to admit I did not see coming. It is I, Jeff Lester, and we are coming to you from John Singleton Block to uh to 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 deliver unto you the glory that is Judge Dredd Restricted Files 3 as i mentioned which cover the 2000 AD annuals and specials uh from years 2000 2112 to 2115 Within the... that, that is, I should say, the specials from 1990 through 1993. Thank you, Graham. I was, in theory, I was getting there. I wasn't getting there fast, but I mean, anyone who's listened to our podcast before knows that is the Jeff Lister way. So, uh, well, also, anyone who's read this restricted volume mm. knows that um, it it meanders, shall we say? You know, it's, 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 so listeners, you'll, you'll be pleased to know that Graham and I, as we sometimes do, we were, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. And, um, I think I have a higher opinion of this volume than Graham does. So I, I think you probably do, mm -hmm. but I think that's because, so it's fair to say this is uneven. You would agree about that. Oh, right? completely. And part of that comes from. Even in the previous two restrictive files, which, have, you know, it's always been collections of things like the stories from the annuals, the stories from the sci-fi specials, the Judge Dredd mega specials, like the various summer specials, the various annuals, the various random places that aren't 2000 a day or the magazine that Dredd has appeared. Even though it's always been that, you've previously been written mostly by John Wagner or Alan Grant. Mm -hmm. And this time around, no. There's a lot of Wagner and Grant in here. Yes. And best stuff is Wagner's oh, by yeah. far yeah. but you also have Peter Milligan you have Mark Miller you've got Simon Furman uh you've got Andy Lanning in there uh Dan Abnett Morrison Dan Abnett's in there mm -hmm. uh, Alan McKenzie like there's a lot of different writers here mm -hmm. um and it's the periods around you know, Necropolis through where we are in, in the regular drug episodes mm -hmm. from the end of Wagner's run through Ennis and through the beginning of Miller and Morrison. Mm -hmm. So to, it's fair to say that the main dread strip has been changing significantly. The magazine has got started, which has brought in a new generation of writers as well. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected by an incredibly varied and uneven 
writing staff here that offers some fucking wacky results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, So I think for myself, generally, uh, sad though it is to say, I think that Garth Ennis holds the, is the, is for me the crap standard, the dross standard for dread stories, because anyone who was not Wagner and Grant here more or less instantly gets measured against Ennis's work. And honestly, I would feel that a lot of them, considering that some of these might be uh, the first shot that some of these people are having at, at crafting a dread story, were pretty good, I think. One of the, and there were a few that I thought that were so um, goofy. Uh, that they actually... <laughs> is it the Peter Milligan one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Judge Planet by Peter Milligan and Shaky Kane. I could not believe my eyes. And it was... I mean, it was fucking great because I... I it's insane. I, yeah. Like, honestly, the fact that it's included here, when it's not really a Judge Dredd story, let's be perfectly honest. But that's okay. I, mean, I know, but it's, it's funny because it's it, you know it's around about the period that like the magazine's getting started, and the the you know these books aren't collecting the other like magazine stories that are kind of Judge Dredd kind of aren't right. Like the thing that's surprising and a, a thing that we've like I've missed is when the magazine first got started at the same time as as America was running, mm-hmm. there was a three part Wagner Cam Kennedy strip called Beyond Our Kenny. Mm. That is Kenny Who, the comic artist. Mm. Oh yes, yeah, coming yeah. back to Mega City One. Oh man, and it's fucking great. Like it's so good, yeah. and for some reason it's not in the 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 case files. Mm. You know, and so the idea that they're collecting Judge Planet in this and they're not collecting Beyond Kenny is is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, for myself as someone who didn't know that that was in existence, I mean. Certainly, there's any number of stories in here, a a large number, in fact, that I would push in front of a bus if it meant that I could get to read that story. But um, so one of the things that I have to say is for me is that um, uh, people who are listening used to hearing me kvetch and whine about uh, Ennis's run on Dread is my proposal that one of the first and best steps you can do if you're stepping onto dread stories is, is tell stories that are not about dread. And for the most part, a lot of the better stories in here that are not um, Wagner written or uh, Grant written, it's a whole different category at that stage, um, you know, kind of take that advice to heart and t- come closer to succeeding than missing. And one of the things that I do like a lot about Judge Planet is it so ten- is so barely a Judge Dredd story. Yeah. Judge Dredd appears in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, a character named Judge Dredd appears in it. I'm willing to sort of semi concede that point, but is drawn by Shaky Kane and as more or less said, by, you know, like he could be, he's just. It could just as well be the world's most insane Doctor Thirteen story. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's 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 Milligan and and Shaky Kane around like the era of Deadline. Yeah, 
and it's very much it's not even a Milligan story as much as it's a shaky game story that Milligan is happily scripting. You can say I on the one hand, I'm sure that there the visually you're right about that, but um honestly between the f- f- uh, let's put it this way, considering that I think of uh, Enigma as a Peter Milligan classic oh, sure. and yeah. it has a lot of the same moves here. You think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. okay. I apologize to everyone who hasn't read Enigma. If you haven't, please skip over these next 45 seconds. Go find it. Read it. You'll really enjoy it. Peter Milligan, Duncan Ferragretto. So the whole... Half of the, the, the nail upon which Enigma hangs, which makes it delightful, is... It is narrated by a character that you would never expect that is granted sentience something like two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the story. Mm-hmm. That's what happens here in Judge Planet. But so much of the rest of it feels 100% Shaky Kane to me. Well, because Shaky Kane is like, I mean, yeah, he's amazing and momentous and Milligan just rides with that. But considering Milligan runs in just a relatively short period of span from, huh, this these narrative captions seem a little bit fucked up to, oh shit, what's going on here? Who the hell's telling this story? To surprise, <laughs> you yeah. know, plus... Okay, I'll, okay I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, so so for I, me, I, anyway. Yeah, I, just, I just see it very much in the... the realm of like what Shiki Kim was doing at Deadline at the time but I think you're right you are right yeah so I, I do I do want to say but but it is it and is glorious by like two years so yeah so I mean part of it it really is such a um, but you know but but the flip side is you know you get something like the mystery of Judge Edwin Drood by Dan Abnett with with really lovely art by Mike Hadley I think and and I mean that just dies a dog's death again. Even with dread, just kind of being on the side there to to you know jump in. And I mean Roboblock, which is written by Simon Furman, is definitely focused on dread, but it's also just such a shameless rewrite of an old Wagner Grant story, if not a Wagner Grant story that has been told two or three times. That I, was I, I have like. so many directions I want to go in. Yes. <laughs> I really do. Uh, when we're talking about disappointing stories, we cannot overlook the juve mutated Kung Fu Clegs. Yes. Story, which uh, Dermot Power illustrates the hell out of, but it's terrible. It is terrible. And although Dermot Power does a fabulous job with it, I feel like he kind of spoils the joke. So for those people not, what? Well, sorry, uh, the the main joke, which is the one that, that, that is that, that in the what is surely the third or fourth Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles it, it, that, parody that to help. appear, yeah, um, a, a group of Clegs are uh, adapted and raised to do kung fu and more or less fight crime, and essentially just barely they end up like eating everyone, which is essentially the joke. The joke that I thought, which was kind of funny, is because of the way in which they're trained, they're super receptive to the tinkle-tonk of the passing ice cream man 
And so Dredd is able to lure them back to uh, the Justice Center by commandeering the ice cream vehicle and peddling it back with the music playing and them walking. And I mean, come on, that visual is, I'm completely 100% sure what... Was the hook. Yeah, exactly. And and I really feel the art well, buries it. I mean, to be fair, Power is... Uh, Power is not the artist to sell that joke. And honestly, Power is not the, really the artist to sell a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles joke in general. Mm-hmm. But I still love his work. <laughs> no, for real. Like, no, I, I love I know. his work on the music killer. Right, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he keeps on doing stuff that is not necessarily suitable for him. Mm. But I still like the art. Totally Do you know fine. what I mean? Yeah. Like, for, for example, elsewhere in this book, you've got the Cult of the Thuggy. Oh, yeah, right. Like, with Glenn Dillon doing painting. And I think Glenn Dillon's art is great. And I think that story is fucking horrendous. Oh, it's a trash fire, you know? isn't it? But yeah. it, but it's, but like, uh, the Clegg story is similar for me. Mm-hmm. In that you've got someone doing great art that is just not right for the story. But mm-hmm. like, what I appreciate about it is the art. Well, see, where is, so, right. Right. And actually, this is this is my other thing about the about Restricted Files Volume three is I like the art a lot more here, um, even though it comes closer to being off brand than sort of the off brand unfortunateness of of the complete case files like yeah. 16 there, through 18. It has to be said, there's some great artists in here. Glenn Dillon, like I said, oh, Darren Harper's great. Camp Kennedy shows up. You know, the the Jews and the Hood story, which I don't like, but the art in that is fucking amazing. You know, the Jews and the Hood is to me an amazing story because I started off like hating it and hating the art. And by the end of it, I was thinking that the art was kind of brilliant. And the art is, yeah, yeah, the art is so great. In that. Like Paul Grist draws Dredd. Well, see, this it's only it's apparently it's Grist's only Dread story, and it's fabulous. It's Paul yeah. Grist doing Dread like, and doing the Avengers so, pastiche. It's yeah, fucking there's awesome. such good art in this. Book. Yeah, there completely. really is, and especially no. like you said, it's, when you look at what 2008 in the magazine are doing at the time. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that the art is it is off model. You know, Jews and Hood is very off-model. Grist is very off-model for Dread. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's off-model in ways that are really fucking interesting. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love... I, I actually love Grist's Dread. I yes. think it's really, really fucking great. Oh, my God. I love Edmund Kitson's Dread, uh, dread from, from Jews and the Hood. You know? Yeah. But it's, it's visually a great book. But again, story-wise, this is... There's some great stuff. There really is. But the bad stuff is really bad. And, you know, one of the things that I think is sad here is... And I hmm, I feel like one of the things that I am very uh, frustrated and antsy about in, in our overview of Drock is... I feel in many ways like Alan Grant was given short shift by us during the time that he and Wagner were working on Dread Stories together. Um, And part of that, I don't know how much of that might be for you, who has read a lot of Dread before we started doing Drock. 
sort of seen the trajectory of Dread Stories, which is that <laughs> Wagner... Is that he does a terrible job here? He, I think this is some of his worst stuff. There's one or two pieces here that are... And see, this is the thing. He is a competent page-turner much more so than a lot of the new guys. Like, he can sort of semi-write stuff more or less in his sleep. But at the same time... These stories are sloppy and lazy, even yeah, by the, Grant's the stories, standards. The you Grant know? stories here are just terrible. They I mean, are really, really, bad. really terrible. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know what was happening in 1990 for the first two stories in this book that are both Grant stories, but they are also, you know, the most misogynistic stories we've encountered, we've encountered yet. Right. Well, and. and it, and they're weird pastiche. They're weird tribute pastiche stories, too. Uh, for those who uh, are, aren't reading along, and I don't know whether to say shame on you or you, you dodged a bullet, the you first one bullet, is Carry really On did. Judging, which is a pastiche of the, you know, what's widely considered a British blight, uh, the Carry On film franchise uh, of... of an entire, um, I don't know what what to call it. It's sort of the the urtext of like cheeky, cheap humor. Yeah. So 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 the carry on films are what was you know quaintly described as postcard humor. Yeah. Which is basically everything is a double entendre. Yeah. Like it is the flimsiest of plots, and entirely it's based around. How many double entendres can you fit into one film? Yeah, right. Uh, and it was always the same cast of characters, uh, same cast of actors, I should say, um, and always the same jokes for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's the it, you know here's Barbara Windsor who has like enormous breasts, and she her clothes will fall off on demand. At mm-hmm. any given opportunity. Mm-hmm. And someone will be like, look at those knockers. And they won't be talking about her. They'll be talking about door knockers. Right. She'll just happen to be standing next to them. Yeah. Like it's that level of humor. Basically, basically, yeah. It's an unholy crossbreed of if you somehow manage to reverse engineer Police Academy with Austin Powers. You know what I mean? Like it kind of yeah, sort of or, generally... Or... Yeah, I, and like these films were horrifically popular. Yeah, through, horrifically. I guess the like sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually look up the dates for the Carry On. Oh, front. you know, I think I was actually looking. I did not realize there were so many Fif- of them. Nineteen fifty-eight through nineteen seventy-eight. Uh, Thirty-one yeah. films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 31 films, four Christmas specials, a television series of 13 episodes, and three stage plays. To give you an idea of just how popular this was in the yeah. UK. Yeah. Um, and they were they were they were terrible. Like they were legitimately terrible. <laughs> um, but as you can tell, like from fifty eight to to seventy eight, they were so popular that they were a part of the popular culture and very much the popular culture that like had shaped Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, so the idea that Grant and Cliff Robertson is, are doing a, a you can't like what is it? It's a homage, I guess, because it's not a parody. And it's not a satire on the Carry On films. It's literally doing a Carry On film. Yeah, right. There's no insight into the Carry On films or commentary on the Carry On films. It's literally just doing that mm-hmm. with likenesses of the actors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Dread. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of breathtaking, really. Yeah. And honestly, 
kind of shameful at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I preferred it to the second story beyond the Alley of the Ultra Vixens, which, as you can suspect from the name, um, is a... I guess the story is supposed to be a tribute to the films of uh, Russ. Russ. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. But yeah, yeah. Russ of Meyer. Meyer. Yeah. Thank you. I'm like blocking his last name. Um, but here's the thing. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is one of my favorite films. Yes. Right. And there is none of that here. And honestly, there's not really any of the uh, – it's not the Beyond the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, is it? What's the Ultra Vixens film called? Um, honestly, I feel like beyond because the, the Ultra Vixen one was wasn't it beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens? Like it's a weird triple movie parody title. It's, like it it's, is. It's beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. You're right. Yeah. So, um, but it it's supposed to, which I have not seen. But um, the i I mean, first off, it is one of those situations where the art. Uh, by David Roach is lovely, but is wrong for what's supposed to be a Russ Meyer piece because yeah. I get the sense this is supposed to be um, a loving pastiche, uh, not nearly as direct as Carry On Judging is, of things like Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, where you have um, very powerful, top-heavy women beating the crap out of each other. Uh, and as drawn by Roach, it's a bunch of um, lithe, uh, zero-gravity wrestlers, and the effect is 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 really wrong. Like, For it's... want of a better way of putting it, it's not tacky enough. Exactly. No, exactly. It's not tacky enough. It needs to be really and that's the thing Meyer works in a, a realm of almost deliriously heightened artificiality and so to have someone like Roach who's realistically painstakingly drawing everyone's hair you know what I mean like it's it's almost like they were like so have you seen any Russ Meyer movies and he's like no, but I'm a big fan of Patrick Nagel. And it's like, okay, close enough. Close enough, yeah. It's, it's funny. It weirdly reminds me of Monaro's stuff. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, I and think again, that's a good call. Monaro doing a Russ Meyer thing, I feel, would work. Yes. But Roach is weirdly too tasteful. Yeah, very and, much and so. And that might be, tasteful might be the wrong way of putting it. But again, it's not tacky enough. It's not sensationalistic enough. You know, it's it's this weirdly restrained too pretty thing yeah when in order to really sell a meyer parody mm -hmm. it has to be garish shit exactly exactly so really a poor choice there on the part of the editor which i mean you know what whatever i, I i'm not crazy about it it's it is um it is a piff of a definite trifle uh, on Grant's part, scripting-wise, but at least you get a sense of, unlike some of the other stories, I at least feel like he turned in a complete lazy yeah. effort. Yeah, you, know, you, you had an idea of what he was trying to do. Exactly, exactly. And he got he got thwarted on it. The pages are lovely to look at, but it is kind of a... Are they, though? Well... I, I, I'm meaning to be mean like i i think that roach is i think roach is actually a really nice artist mm -hmm. um roach at this point had worked with grant before they'd done some judge anderson strips together mm. so it's not as if 
neither Grant nor the editor knew what Roach was going to hand in. Right. Like, this is very much in line with these Judge Anders and stuff. Right. Um, so it just feels like a really weird yeah. combination. But, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't even sell... Like, Roach's work is pretty, mm-hmm. and it is, you know, he does what he does really well, but he doesn't even do dynamic art. You have two people fighting in zero gravity, and that means nothing in these patterns. No, 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 no. I mean, it's one of those things where what it means for zero gravity is if you look at it, Roach worked the shit out of zero gravity hair. The hair is beautiful. Yeah, that that's that's really his most successful thing in the whole thing. Apart from the second page, he mm-hmm. does a profile of Dread that's great. Yeah, no, I mean that's it. That dread profile's fabulous. The the shots, the opening shots, especially colored by Roach, where it's this cityscape at night, is it's it it's really quite lovely. But it's it's a wasted opportunity. I I actually would love to check out the Anderson stories, just because but, but, if those are more um, are better stories anyway, you know. But again, you know, you have. Those were the two Dread stories from a Dread special in 1990. Yeah. Both of them were grant-written and both of them were, you know, let's be kind and say, like, parodies of sexist materials from the 70s. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. I think that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Two two stories that are, at this point, 12 or so years out of date. So, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. But Alan Grant, all the way through this volume disappoints he never misses an opportunity to disappoint (laughs) you know it's it's and you can tell when it's an alan grant story in a weird way Mm -hmm. it it gets so bad in fact that the towards the second half of the book Mm -hmm. you get an alan grant and brett ewan story oh like the parallel reality dread that is so bad that I was like, if I hadn't read in the credit box this was Alan Grant, I would think this was Mark Miller. Well, interestingly enough... And I enough, would think this would be Mark Miller, like, phoning it in for Dread. Yeah, know? totally, totally. The thing that I find fascinating is it's one of the... It's one of two stories in here that has um, multiple writers in it. Like, there's a story, I think, in here... Maybe there's another one, where I thought Wagner was was co-writing with someone... Andy Lanning wrote with Steve White, but yeah, for what whatever... I mean, Andy Lanning almost always co-writes. Right, exactly, as we know from uh, his long history with with Abnet. But uh, but yeah, I but but the Alan Grant Tony Luke one almost all but felt like the story, and I could be wrong. Who knows how it how it ended up happening? If Grant was trying to help a buddy break in. But it is so egregiously poor that yes. it it felt almost like the Luke wrote the original story. The editor was unhappy and hired Grant to do a polish on it, and and I that was a mistake as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For for people not reading along again, the the gimmick is basically evil dread from the mirror universe. It teleports in. And is scared off by Anderson projecting their worst fear, which is Judge Dredd. Right. Which makes no sense. Which makes no, no sense. Like yeah. the story, the story kind of starts off as a, you know, I think, again, one of those like 
DC Silver Age ideas. Like you, you mentioned the Mirror Universe, which is which is great, which is true, but it's also very it, much it's our three. Yeah, it's it's a parallel yeah. universe where Dread and Anderson and everyone else, where the Judda end up supreme instead of the judges, and so they are so on top of everything that they have moved from Earth to Earth, uh, more or less persuading slash conquering all the other earths and and now have come to mega city one and the dread that we know which part of me is like okay not a bad idea in kind of a big high concept one i mean not great but i would have picked i think i probably would have preferred it over planet of the damned if it had been made into a mega prog but the problem apart from brent ewing's just terrible art is the like you said the solution makes to me makes no sense because not only do they talk about the fact that the this these interlope these uh parallel selves from Judda are even more extreme than the versions on this planet but one of them is dread himself and so the idea that Anderson is able to use, with the help of the psychic amplifier, a nightmare uh, image of dread, of our dread, that that sends them fleeing is, I mean, it's really, it's utterly, it's really nonsensical. I mean, that is, that story is just squandered potential. Uh, and, and there's so many gimmies as well. Like all yeah. of a sudden, Anderson can use like a brain amplifier yeah. to amplify her telepathy. It's so, it's such a strange, it feels very much like the, we've got six pages to fill. What do we do? Yeah. Yeah. You very know, much so. Like, 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 let's do something, but we can't tie it to anything else. Yeah. Fine. Let's just say like Judge Dredd is so scary. He scares evil Judge Dredd. Yeah. Towards the end, also, just to continue to dump on Grant a bit more, you have the, the duo of Virtual Unreality and Nightmare Man. Yes. Which are both from the yearbook in 1994. One's Wagner and one is Grant. Mm-hmm. And they're both basically telling the same story. Mm. And they they do it... Uh, I, and I'm not claiming the Virtual Unreality, which is Wagner and, and uh, John Burns, is a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it is so much more inventive and interesting yeah. than the grand story. Um, uh, again, the, the, as, as virtual unreality might suggest, the, the, the gimmick is Dread is, is stuck in, in virtual reality. You know, Dread is stuck in a dream world. Well, or uh, e- even more to the point, it's funny that you mentioned this. I feel like this, this is kind of a specific subgenre. Again, I feel like in Silver Age DC stories, uh, particularly of super of the hero is trapped in a series of paintings, and so for uh, virtual virtual unreality, yes, yeah. But the 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 uh, Grant story that follows is again Dread is stuck in a dream world, but it's literally just like horror tropes that yes. mean nothing to dread yeah and done really dully like a, a, at least wagner does do the you know he's traveling through art genres right you well, know which is more interesting and it allows for honestly like at least one better joke we'll see and that's it i think it, it to me the the different virtual unreality is a lazier gag that is 
um, handled more smartly. Weirdly enough, the the nightmare story uh, is more ambitiously scaled. Like it is simultaneously a nightmare sequence with a gent with that is also centered around a specific criminal who is killing off people in their sleep. Here's all this stuff that's set up and happening. Um, that seems that seems as if it's going to be deliver more because not only is it there a reason for dread to be plunged into nightmare which is in theory going to kill him again sort of the same way that that's that that the first story is sort of a silver age dc trope i'm going to go on a limb and say that this is a silver age marvel trope you know the the person being trapped in their own dream and it's going to kill them but it it is terrible again the resolution is how does dread wake up from this dreams thing when he's been injected with a chemical that has literally caused everyone else to have heart attacks he basically is just such a bad bastard he yeah he, he, he wakes, wakes up wakes and punches up. Somebody. how does he get out of it he wakes up yeah yeah just horrible so but i mean and there's even a certain amount of dread's nightmare is a is a bit of a it's 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 grant kind of moving out there in his like dreads the villain like he literally for the first couple of pages of dreads nightmare is like yeah dreads a nightmare and that nightmare is white colonialism and i mean that's that's a that's a pretty potent um thing to put out there and then it more it gets dialed back like with breathtaking speed yeah yeah immediately yeah and then it just becomes like he's like i've got an idea oh shit no i can't yeah 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 well no i mean i think i think that this is i feel like part of the weird thing with with wagner and grant is um you know that their split seemed to be happening on ideological ideological grounds. The idea that that Grant was like, yeah, no, he's just a bastard, and he would have shot um, what's his doodle in the back. And Wagner being like, no, I don't think so. And I think honestly, it plays out more with at this point starting to think of things as wagner is is more attuned to the idea of long-term possibilities like grant is ultimately way more committed to the idea that nothing he ever does with dread is going to be anything more than a one-time paycheck at least how it feels to me and all of this stuff is no matter what toy is there, it's going to be jammed back in the box. And, and, and so there's a little bit of the, like whatever hook that you need to sell the story is fine, but it's only there to sell the story. It doesn't have anything to really say or do, or I just, I, at this point, I really do feel like there's such a cynicism to Grant's approach to dread that you can't... Yeah, I, I don't know if it's cynicism as much as he... We, we Last time when we talked about Morrison's dread, mm-hmm. we talked about how Morrison was basically dealing with everything on the surface. Yeah. And, and Morrison didn't seem to be interested in any of the subtext of dread. Right. And Grant seems to be approaching everything in the same way, in a really weird sense. 
which is which seems insane to me. It seems utterly unthinkable and nonsensical. Because Grant was there for years, building like you know, if 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 the Dread mythology is to be understood, Grant is one of the primary movers in the, the democracy arc, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it, he's there. He's put the subjects in. He's done the work. Yes. And yet, based on every story he contributes here. Except for two pages or three pages in that nightmare arc. Yeah, but overall, on every story. Well, on every story. Well, that's what I'm saying, is there's a cynical he, he's, process he's about it. Yeah. Yeah, he's literally just going, you know, it's, it's a, it, I'm, I'm writing a six page story for the paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, go, I'm doing this to entertain the kids. Right. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and. You can make lots of arguments about Grant's writing elsewhere. You know, you can you can talk about how he does tend to uh, shy away from serious writing, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has a tendency to go for a joke to mm-hmm. undercut the drama, or he'll go into pathos, or he'll go into melodrama. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to just letting something land properly like i think wagner is better at actually letting a dramatic moment land and allowing it to land and i think grant in general is is either you know overly sensitive about that or overly self-conscious about it and so he he can't back off enough Mm -hmm. yeah we'll see that's it i think the can't back off is exactly right is exactly right through his entire career Mm -hmm. and see that happen again Mm -hmm. right you can talk about how he has a very interesting approach to politics and approach to how that politics impacts society. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that a lot of that actually comes out weirdly enough more in his Batman work mm-hmm. than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But also there's an extent to which he, again, can't really let that develop into something that is coherent. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always going to get derailed by, okay, but now I'm going to make a supervillain called Anarchy, but is he a villain or is he an anti-hero? Oh, but what if Anarchy spelt with a K? Well, you know, right. And, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and, and so he sort of cheapened, like, again, he doesn't seem to have the confidence to, to actually follow through his big, big ideas. But even so, he has those big ideas elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to Dread, it honestly feels as soon as he goes solo at Dread, mm-hmm. he just shies away from those big ideas entirely. Yeah. The closest he comes to actually following through on his criticisms of the judge, uh, the Justice Department and being a dramatic writer is his Anderson work. Mm-hmm. You know, which honestly at some point I feel we might want to dig into. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it goes very much into Grant's love of is supernatural or spiritualism. I'm not quite sure how to put it. Mm-hmm. But he, he had, like he, he's very much following his own you know, he's letting his freak flag fly. And bless him for that, but it's not my freak flag. Oh, yes, indeed. You Agreed. Know? Agreed. Um, but I think I do think it's the closest he comes to actually allowing himself to pursue that. Mm. But the, the fact is he just doesn't do that in Dread. Right. He utterly backs off. And his work is always the lesser for it. Well, yes. I, ab- I absolutely 100% agree with all of those things. I think there's a number of... Uh, there's a lot of rampant speculation that I could indulge in as to why that might be the case. But it is a, 
sorry, when I said cynicism, I, I didn't mean so much about dread. I mean about writing oh, no, Judge Dredd stories. Dread. That, yeah, I, yeah, I took it as cynicism about his position in dread as a, as a as a creative entity. Yeah, like he he is very aware that he is coming in and working for hire. Yes, exactly, exactly, you know? and at every that, point. That was, but that was true on Batman, and I feel like he takes Batman more seriously. He engages more in Batman. Well, uh, well, it could be he feels less tied to the character, so there's less of a certain amount of heartbreak. There, there's more of a. You know, the thing about work for higher characters is there's a there is that um, there's a certain amount of it, they can be liberating to you because they are, you know, characters that you grew up with or maybe they're just characters that you come to a paycheck. But there's a certain feeling of there's not always a certain amount of personal responsibility. Like it could very well be that Grant felt that after he and Wagner split and Wagner is still stays really tight to tied to dread that, that Grant just kind of felt like I, you know, my opinions have no place here. Like, you know what I mean? Whereas in Batman, he's like, I'm not worried about pissing off Bob Kane or Bill Finger. You know, I didn't work with, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm blocked Denny O'Neill, so I well although I did work with Denny O'Neill, I don't really have to worry about offending these guys. But like yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with, I co-wrote in the same room with this other dude for you know a decade. For me to come out and say that dread is the ultimate extension of white colonialism and is the the, the nightmare of Western civilization is encapsulated in this man um you can maybe like dip your toe into it and then it's like oh ha, 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 look it's judge death you know and i and i think i think there are reasons for that whereas batman he's like man i don't i don't give a fuck i'll you know they, look there's commissioner gordon he's smoking cigarettes maybe they've got pcp in him like you can tell i didn't read a lot of grant's batman run but again this thing with like anarchy he's kind of like oh Batman represents a form of of anarchy, vigilanteism, but he's not really anarchy. But, you know, that idea of like, to what extent do superheroes represent an anarchist impulse? And to what extent are they secretly harbingers of law and order? I can see where Grant would be like, yeah, I'm kind of into that. And I can kind of explore that. And I can kind of explore it in a very safe way because American comics have you know, 13 or 14 different safety rails built in to make sure that I never get a chance to go, or certainly Batman, so that I'll never get a chance to go off the rails. But, yeah. you know... I, it, it's, but it, it's strange to see... I mean, when I was... I, I'm not sure if I was consciously underselling Grant's contributions when he was working with, with Wagner, as much as potentially massively overselling Wagner's. Right, like, because of where Wagner has gone, right, with Dread afterwards. Like mm-hmm. I'm very much like, well, Wagner's the dominant force, right. and Wagner's always been the dominant force, right. But at the same time, like watching what Grant has done slash failed to do, yes, with Dread as a solo writer mm-hmm. afterwards, has honestly been kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. I, I remembered that I didn't like his work as much as Grant's, as mm-hmm. much as Wagner's, mm-hmm. but I'm 
I am kind of surprised at just how weak it has been, and especially in this volume. Mm-hmm. This volume, I think, oh, is yeah. really underscores just how genuinely weak. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, incoherent is is too strong because like they all have a beginning, middle, and end, mm-hmm. but they have no thought in. Them well, they might have beginning the and paycheck. middles. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. No, and I and and to me that is it. It's all everything about it is is autopilot, except in this volume. Unlike some of Grant's other contributions, well, I don't know. It slowly it seems to be picking up speed. Where, like I said, you say you're like, yeah, every story has beginning, middle, and end. I'm like, well, or at least two of the three, anyway. Yes. You know. And, it definitely has a beginning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and something like Cult of Thuggy or or the Nightmare piece seems to have a middle, but uh, but yeah, there's so much cut by the. But end. it's true, like something like Parallel Lines, which he co-writes with Tony Luke, and I might be misremembering. I think Tony Luke did an incredible amount of stuff with Pat Mills around this time. Mm. So Tony Luke might just have been someone who, like you said, like knew lots of the old guard of 2008 and was trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. To- mm-hmm. Um, but like parallel lines is 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 a disaster. It is. Like it doesn't really have an end, and honestly, it doesn't really have much of a middle. Yeah. It has a concept, mm-hmm. you know. And honestly, carry on judging just has a concept. Oh yeah. Well, like it, it literally doesn't have an end. The end is the real Judge Dread comes in and stops them playing the movie. You know, which is terrible. Well, you know, again, I'm like, it's like, I'm like, no, Grant, like, I feel like we're going to viciously argue about what the worst Alan Grant story is in this volume. And <laughs> yeah, I spent the entire episode doing that. Exactly. And, and honestly, it could lead to a very um, uh, spirited debate because there are so many contenders. But honestly, I think Carry On Judging to me was one of the better Grant stories in here, sadly. By the time I got to the end of it, I was like, yeah, that was, that was all right. Okay, yeah, fine, you know, sure. That actually more or less kind of worked. And then I felt the same way about, oh, look what I found, you know, in my drawer from the year 1981, Computer Warrior, uh, script by Alan Grant, uh, art by Ron Smith, where again, like, the land, the ending isn't great, but at least it's, unending as opposed to cult of the thuggy and nightmare man and uh the the parallel lines and you know just just real real terrible lazy just like oh we haven't even talked about jonathan livingston dog vulture which is oh, yeah yes that's terrible yeah for, in case the title doesn't give it away yeah that uh, one is horrible and again as you point out impressively terrible what could be more trenchant and on point in 1991 than a spoof of jonathan livingston seagull oh oh that was that one was the one where i was like holy fucking shit like i've I've got to ask one um jeff sent me a message just from the first page of Carry On Judging, which is the first page of comics in the book. Yes. Just on the screenshot of that going, oh no. Yeah. But Jonathan Livingston Dog Vulture must have been the point for you, like it was for me, where you're just like, this is going to be a really long book. 
Uh, yeah, I think that is absolutely true. Cause we it, were just like, oh no. Yeah. 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 I think that's right. Cause, um, uh, that one was definitely, that was, that was hugely painful. It's also followed by, I I'm shocked. Like Mark. Oh, but you know, actually I take it back because I disagree because what happens is you've, your first four stories are Alan Grant um, and someone that is not willing to take credit for sleeping. Exactly. Muty. Unknown. I think one of the few stories that's actually credited to unknown. Yeah, exactly. In any of these collections. But honestly, I kind of love Top Dogs, which is John Wagner, Colin McNeil doing gorgeous art and is the first Judge Dread Strontium Dog crossover and unlike the entire mega prog event that they pop up in later is genuinely entertaining and you know almost thrilling like it's and, it's and great also, it should be said does not suffer from the fact that it's a reservoir dogs joke yes that is true you know, like it really doesn't suffer from that 30 years later right. because the joke is pretty much limited to the title and the fact that Johnny and Wolf are wearing suits. Yeah, in fact, that's it. And it and and it's and one I like that because it feels like it is a um it you know, it's it's a red herring. It's a it's like, oh, I think I know where this story is going. And then by the time part two kicks in, you're like, oh shit, no, you really don't. And then now I'm assuming some of these and you'll have you you're the person with the annual knowledge. And I think you'd mentioned this in a previous talk, probably about the restricted files. But when it's broken into three parts like this, it's all in one volume. It's just they have stories in between. So So basically the the, something like Top Dogs or there's another one that's split into like three three chapters. Um, Juve's in the hood. Yeah, it's it's to do with the placement in the book. Right. Because it's to do with the, the placement of the color pages in the book. Mm. So you have the color pages of Top Dog, then you'll have black and white pages for a bit, then you'll have the color pages of Top Dog Chapter 2, then you'll have black and white pages for a bit, then you have the color pages of Top Dog Part 3 to end the book. Right. Okay. Great. Yeah, that makes sense, of course. Uh, yeah. What a good story. So because that actually comes so early on, um, I, in a way I kind of had my, like, oh, I got my money's worth, you know, top. Yeah. Top dogs is great. Actually, let's, let's shift gears for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how terrible the Alan Grant stories are. John Wagner has a really good volume here for the most part. Yeah. There's, there's, there is one or two minor missteps, I think, but but overall, I think I think a lot of his shit is great. I, I think the Wagner stuff in here is as strong as it's been for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Top Dogs is great. Old Acquaintance is just... See, I wanted to ask you Same. about Old Acquaintance because I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's Wagner's love for the ethnic stereotyping meets Scotland. What did you think? Yes. I, it made me laugh. Did it? Drain. Oh it really God. did. I find that the funniest fucking story. That's great. It's so great. And, and it has to be said, it's not just Wagner. Yeah. Although, like, even things like Judge Dreed, 
And he's like, it's true. And he's like, that's what I said. (laughs) Like, that's a funny fucking joke to me. It really is. Like, the villain being called Big Tam McNutter is funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just is. Um, The the robotic Nessie. Yes. As a robotic Loch Ness Monster is funny to me. But in addition to that, Kennedy draws the shit out of that story. Yeah. And Kennedy colors the shit out of that story. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, all the characters being drunk with their bright red noses and their red bloodshot eyes. Yeah. It yeah. Is, is, is great. Like, Kennedy draws the shit out of that. Game. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Because I actually really liked it. But I, at the same time, while I was laughing, I was like, oh, I feel I feel wrong. Like, this is no, just... I, I, I think it's really, really funny. Oh, okay, I, I think it's just... it's. Did you ever read Wagner and Grant doing The Bogeyman? No, I never did. Oh, so so for for you, in case you don't know, and for the listeners who won't know, uh, round about this period, I think it was about nineteen. Oh, it would have been it was eighty nine or ninety. Wagner and Grant and Robin Smith, who's done some dread stuff, mm-hmm. did a four issue American format comic series from a Scottish publisher. Oh yeah, called the book. Right. And the gimmick is he is a mental. Uh, he escapes from a, a, a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. He is spitting image of Humphrey Bogart, and he thinks he is Humphrey Bogart, mm. and he thinks that everything that's happening to him is a Humphrey Bogart film, mm. and he invents a story in which he's the hero, but also happens to solve a genuine crime problem in the process, mm. and it's it's hilarious. But the reason it's hilarious is not just that gimmick, mm-hmm. although I like that gimmick, mm-hmm. but it's because the same. Scottish stereotypes and Scottish jokes. Wagner's doing an old acquaintance here. Mm-hmm. They're in that, uh-huh. and doing it like for a Scottish audience, mm-hmm. you know. So there's things like, I mean, it starts the mental asylums in my hometown, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which which uh, that alone won me over. Right, but um, it's full of like things that if you grew up in Scotland, like it's funny not because it's. A, and it's the same story of all acquaintances. It's funny not because it's a stereotype. It's funny because it's actually true. <laughs> okay. Like half of the conversations that happen to old acquaintance, sure, I've had those conversations. Mm. Or I've seen those conversations, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just funny because it's the cliche. It's funny because, like, I, I've been there. Mm-hmm. 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 You know? So it, it, it's like old acquaintance is a particularly funny story to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I'm glad because in that case, it really to me, there's there's really just two, two and a half flops. I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the squealer, although I think it's well crafted. Weirdly enough, Greg Staples gets to draw the other informant related story, "Call Me Mister Nice Guy," which is. Uh, which honestly feels like Wagner reading a Garth Ennis Dread story and kind of going, no, 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 and doing a better job with it. And <laughs> virtual unreality, which, uh, again... Is, is the is not great. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind it's, of a trifle. I mean, yeah. you know. Um, the Squealer is, again, pretty much a trifle. You know, it's a very thin idea. Mm-hmm. The widow of an informant suddenly has lots of important information because her her dead husband is giving it to her, even though he never liked her. And the punchline is he's doing it to get her set up to be killed by the criminals. Yeah, exactly. And like, okay, it's funny joke, mm-hmm. but I feel like you could have gotten there faster. 
and he he doesn't really do enough about it. Virtual Unreality again is very thin yeah. and is a chance for for John Burns to paint the shit out of the different art movements. Right. Right. You know, and Call Me Mr. Nice Guy I think is fun for what it is and what it is as it says in the credits is for the Judge Dredd poster prog issue 1. Right. I like it's a, it's a uh, an introduction to dread for for non-dread readers. Yeah, it is, but I have to say and and it it I, I let's put it this way. I was sur- almost surprised by the time I got to the end of it that it was Wagner cuz it is a it's not nearly as bootlicking as Ennis. Yeah, it, and, yes. Yeah. It but, do, it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. But it does it is kind of like I was I was kinda of like when I was reading it about midway through, I was like, Wow, so so there's two Mark Miller stories in this volume. Uh <laughs> and I was totally wrong. But I think that shows you how little I actually really liked uh, uh liked it. So it's but call at the same me time again, like Top Dog's is great, Old Acquaintance is great. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, the Jews and Hoods, I don't really like, but I'm very aware of like the effort that went into it, for want of a better way of putting it. Like, I, I, I feel it's it can be admired, question mark. Serial Killer, I think, is a really fun story. Serial Killer is is good, and it works on it. It it is it is quite good. Um, honestly, Love Story Two: Futile Attraction is a really good sequel. A good one-off sequel to a good one-off story from a bajillion years ago about a psychotic about a woman who's convinced she's having a romance with Judge Dredd. They run it. I don't like Ian Gibson's work much, even even though I have weirdly more fondness for him doing off-book Bigfoot Dread style drawing. Then, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there is something about like his really cartoony dread. Yeah, I, I like his super cartoony dread more than when he was doing quote unquote straight dread. Um, but yeah, no, The Sleeper, I think, is another story that is just kind of just a big pile of pyrotechnics with like a cheap joke in it and totally works for me. Like, no, Wagner's got a great. Volume here. It's interesting that you don't Juice in the Hood. Uh, one of the things that I like about it is um, it's got Wagner. Wagner and Grant both have a certain amount of interest with bringing in different voices, or they used to. Um, which is to say, with Grant, so much of this stuff sort of drops away. But but Juice in the Hood. One of the reasons that I like it. Uh, apart from as the story grows more out of control because it's essentially a, a war between two different gang gangs of Jews is as that as that grows it kind of becomes more and more um, nightmarishly out of control like it's a really well-paced story like towards the end of it, like things are exploding and I, I realize uh, out of all the various dread subgenres that I'm a fan of um I'm realizing I'm almost always a sucker for when a terrifyingly large truck gets involved and goes out of control like I'm like that 
always well, what's works. Funny is that that really is a subgenre of dread. Really like is. there's so many stories where that happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and every time it gets me because one of the things that that is kind of great is they don't, you know, it's it's Mega City One and and you know the first couple of years of dread really were that like oh it's such a huge city the devil's island is a highway island you know and and people are living in mega you know mansions that are on wheels and every once in a while there's a 36 ton super truck and what's great is that over time that gets dialed down but every once in a while they come back and I'm like, oh shit, it's the mega truck. And so <laughs> it's a 72 wheeler on a massive mega highway. Exactly. And it's on fire. Exactly. Like, yeah, this is great. This is a great idea. It's also fun because it's one of those things that, for want of a better way of putting it, you can't judge Dredge your way out of. Like it is a judge a trope. Yeah. But you can't like snark your way out of it or like hard man your way out of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yes. there has to be a different solution. Right. Well, right, there is. And one of the things that I like about uh Juice in the Hood is it it comes that the the giant truck comes right after Dread has more or less had his big dread moment, which I, I think is a a brilliant piece of pacing for Juice in the Hood because the gang war has started, he's trying to stop people from wholesale slaughtering one another. Um, which ironically, his solution is to turn on an electric fence that is separating the two gangs that yeah. has been cut. So you literally have the clever dread moment of him turning that back on and and all these guys getting, you know, cartoonishly electrocuted. And you're kind of like, oh, well, that's that's the end of the story. And then the next page is like Juves on bat gliders, which again, the bat glider thing is also a potential trope in dread by this point. And then it's immediately followed by the truck, uh, that careens out of control and Drock at, at and dread at that point is literally like Drock, this is getting out of control. And you're like, fuck. Yes, it is. So it kind of just turns <laughs> into, um, just kind of kind of hell on earth for a few pages there i do kind of like the idea that dreads like this is out of control and you're like that's why i tuned in judge Dredd. well you know i have that's to say what i'm here for yeah uh, it, it 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 is one of those things that i like that again wagner um wagner and particularly again with wagner and grant will occasionally go there in a way that ennis never did i think of like that idea that the the city is like there's sections of the city that really are two steps from just spiraling out of control and ironically enough for a guy who never uh read or appreciated superhero stories um Ennis's dread is a lot like Spider-Man in that the number of times where he's like stopping a purse snatcher in the first two pages and then taking a call from control or something is really pretty, you know, it's pretty standard. Like, oh, this is a tough city and it's made me a tough man. And one of the things that's fun about Jews in the Hood 
is the idea that things are it's it's a story that it part of the what's great about it is it's drawn off model it is written by grant with a different narrative voice than he normally uses and you see dread be almost on the verge of L- losing, losing control yeah. yeah and and it's and it, and it really works um it is that itself is in a way sort of a subgenre that really disappears when ennis gets involved it, um, it's it's funny you know super quick correction i know this is just misspeaking it's written by wagner sorry I, I, I just I always, want to say that purely because we've talked about how grant is so underwhelming absolutely so I, to just clarify like, no 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 so you I'm should sorry. Um, that is something I feel like I do once an episode too, so it's always but, embarrassing. But Thank you for catching me. The idea of like dread losing control of the city, mm-hmm. I think, is something that Wagner just ramps up more and more and more. Yeah. In like from this point on, mm-hmm. and not like on a uh, you know in every story, mm-hmm. but on a regular basis to mm-hmm. the point where you get something like Day of Chaos, which at this point is like you know twenty years ahead, mm-hmm. but um. Day of Chaos is literally everything goes wrong in Mega City One at once, mm. like everything does, and the judges can't stop it, mm-hmm. like just can't, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so everything goes wrong, and it is a disaster, mm. and that's the story, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 the longest of his mega epics. It's like forty chapters, mm. and Man. like thirty odd chapters of that is the lead up to things going wrong and then you go like six chapters of just everything going wrong and every single one of them is basically like everyone's dying everyone's dying oh. everyone's dying everyone's dying and then you've got a thing at the end which is basically everyone's dead but it took a couple of days to realize that because everyone was dying for that day wow yeah that sounds great i gotta say <laughs> you know yeah but he does he continually ramps up the idea of like Dread, you know, dread is the law, mm-hmm. but in a very real sense, that's meaningless. Right. Like, the law actually can't stop shit. Yeah, exactly. And Wagger keeps coming back to it more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might be another reason why Judas and Hood doesn't really work for me, because it's stuff that I've seen before, even though he did it after. Honestly, he's done some of it before. He's done some of it before. The the what works for Jews in the Hood to me is is that it's Wagner and the team of, of Preston and Kitsune uh doing a a very nice remix of it. You know what I mean? Like it is it's it there there's there's nothing new there, but the way they do it is new enough that it gives you it gives you the feelings that you're supposed to have all over again. And not to me, at least for me, in a simple nostalgic, oh, I remember how much I enjoyed the thrill of watching everything fall apart. You know, um, it really kind of has a little bit of the, it starts off as a goofy, disposable, and, and what works is the childish drawings, you know, look like, this is just going to be childishly disposable. It doesn't mean anything. And, and they really sort of don't prepare you for what happens. Yes. That's what I like about them. Like it's, yeah. it's really awkward artwork mm-hmm. in a way. Yes. But I, 
but I just I love it. Mm-hmm. I really, really love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that the sleeper, which is Wagner, um, I like it because it's about a killer robot, and and I like the visuals of that so much. I forget that it's the the return of of Walter in a way that completely is goes on to be ignored by Morrison, of course. Yes, yeah. but, but it's so interesting. Like the the the, the Walter return in the sleeper yeah. is great. It really is. It really because um, it brings back Walter as basically someone who has gotten overdread, and then reveals that he just can't. Yeah, and like he's gotten overdread to the point where he's become successful, and he has, you know, he's become this emancipated robot who helps other robots to to declare their individuality, and he's fixed his speech impediment, right. and then he just interacts with Dread and goes to pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it's it is one of those things that is. Um... It's it is. There's so much about it that's very lovely because, of course, it's such the cliche of the jilted lover who like goes and gets his life together, literally in in part to show, as Walter himself all but says, like maybe Walter felt he had something to prove after being so disrespected for so long. And his whole little the moment where Walter actually stands up for himself and and tells off dread is a great moment for me um and of course wagner's great because of course the other thing is is dread couldn't care less like dread 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 really could was not thinking of any of this at all like yeah it's a criticism of dread that doesn't land for him yeah because he's just like oh okay sure fine fucking whatever yeah he's like whatever he's like temper like he's totally amused like dreads it one of the things that I do also love in the sleeper is the fact that that um, Walter is a genuinely kind, compassionate robot. Like the things that he's talking about, where in the aftermath of Necropolis, he as a free robot actually adopts all of these other robots who've lost their ma- masters and given them purpose. Like he's. It's 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 funny in a very dark way and in a way that is entirely appropriate. That... Well, it's, it's funny, but it's also not fun. like it's touching. Oh, sorry, no, no, no. That part is touching. I, what I meant was the funny part is is that is that the worst thing about Walter, quote unquote, worst is the fact that he loves Dread completely um, unconditionally. In a way that that is the worst thing about him, it turns him into like a tor- terrible milksop and an object of you know almost deserved pity and contempt. You know, and it's sort of and in the end he's like, you know, in the end love will triumph. And one of the other robots in the background's like, pass the sick bag. And there's something that's kind of. Um, it's a shame because I I like I like how many complicated emotions I had about Walter's return here. It's like the fact that Walter is like you said, like compassionate and caring and a good robot, and then more or less gets dragged down just by the presence of dread in his life to the pathetic comedy simp second banana is. Um, you know, even Wagner's kind of like, hey, let's put it this way. It's it's a great down with love story and a story that really isn't um, necessary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's it also it has 
wonderful comedic artist casting. Yeah. It's drawn by Jeff Senior, who was famous at Simon Honest, I think is still predominantly famous for being a Transformers artist in the UK. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's a robot. It's a story about robots drawn by a guy known for drawing robots. Well, and his, I mean, because the evil robot is just a robotic version of Odd Job, but is great for that. I love how much that character looks and is colored, because he's also colored in a weird way that has a lot of dreads, you know, mustard and ketchup packet <laughs> flair, you know, um, and some of the action scenes. Where the two of them, like he literally, th- at one point, the, the robot throws a car at Dread, And just the the action in it is really good. It's just a, it's just a good Dread story. Kind of back during my quote unquote, you know, golden age of Dread, Where even the disposable stories were done with so much craft and little bits and pieces to them that made them really fun reading and you didn't know what you were going to get like which is i was incredibly pleased for that here i i feel there there is that with wagner stories here and honestly this sort of speaks to something we were saying last time as well um i think the john smith story here is great yeah 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 yeah. actually i thought you know honestly the john smith story uh, i i loved until it got to the end I think because the end is, it's it's not as lazy as a Grant uh, as the Grant stories in here, but it's such a like oh you'll never guess, it was a corrupt judge. All the judges are corrupt. Dread, everyone's terrible but you. You know what I mean? Like I sure. But the rest of it, like there's parts where because I know that Smith has made a name for himself for other things in 2000 AD, especially Indigo Prime, but that first page of Hate Incorporated is um kind of brilliant in how succinct it is. You know, it is one page that has three narratives in it that all end in the same way with the same punch. Um, but slightly different. And I'm just like, this story is going to be great. And yeah. it, it, it almost, what I like about it is it's big as hell. For a 10-page story, Smith brings so much stuff into it that I think part of what bothered me was just like, by the time that it's over, it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it's... It, to me, it just kind of feels a little bit like it ends up feeling like like an it. This should be an excellent Alan Grant story. Like if Grant had written this, it'd be like, oh wow, Grant's really on his game. Like he figured out a way to do a high concept, high octane version of. Okay, just give me the check. I gave you everything you'd want in eight pages. What else do you want from me? It and the thing is really for me at least the there so hate incorporated is essentially there are like hyper competent assassins at work yeah Uh, and it's it's of of the eight pages because it's just eight pages of the this eight pages seven of them are spent I think really well in terms of building Mm -hmm. the drama Mm -hmm. building the mystery and then uh, answering the mystery. But mm-hmm. the problem is the answer of the mystery at the end of the seventh page is they're all coming from within the Hall of Justice. Right. And then he wraps all of that up in one page. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I. That's the problem. Yeah. Do you? I think if he'd done, if there was more to the discovery that they were judges. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem. Yeah. That you either do more with that or you don't have that reveal in there at all. Exactly. It sort of feels like a like he wrote it as a ten pager, and at the last minute, they're like, you know what? We only have seven pages for you. Can you just rewrite the ending and wrap it up in a page? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can can you just can you just get rid of like the, this this big showdown sequence? Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, sure, I'll do it in a page. Yeah, exactly. Because we because the artist ran out of time and we got to run this and yeah, it definitely feels that way, which is a shame because it is it's really good and the art is beautiful in it too. So it's just a great it's a great little read. Um, I, okay, so I know we already talked about how uh, great Paul Gris Dread is, but um, can we talk? It's called Kinky Boots. Yeah, can we talk about the, the wonderful Robbie Morrison Paul Gris story? Yeah, which is great. I just want to say, like, you talk about like how great Gris Dread is, and one of the things that is fabulous about it is, um, you know. Essentially, these are kinky fetishists who become obsessed with stealing the ultimate boot in Mega City One, Judge Dredd's boot. And they get one of them, and then Dredd manages to escape and is running around in with one sock showing. And I was a Justice Department sock. I with a lip badge on it. Fucking love the Justice Department sock. Like that is such a perfect bit of like it's so funny but it's also like weirdly right like it just really is which i think of course that makes sense yeah exactly which i think is such a great little summary of of everything that is not everything but so much of what's great about paul grist is but but i mean it is visually it's great also grist draws a great john steed Yes, it's like the fetishists are the Avengers. The yes. television Avengers. It's Steed and Mrs. Peel. Yeah, which in itself is funny as well. Not just because like you know McNee and and Dan Riggs sang Kinky Boots, but because mm. like it, so much of the Avengers though TV show was fetishistic, if not built upon fetishes. Yeah, and so like it it just does just seem like a, a really great like twist on very familiar ideas mm-hmm. but grist really does draw a great john steve he really does he really does and of course like his his emma peel is really fun to look at but somehow just isn't quite as weirdly perfectly inspired as as his drawing of steed yeah it's his, his steed feels spot on and his emma peel feels a bit generic right exactly Exactly. You know, Which and is part amazing. of that might be intentional because like Steed was all the way through the Avengers and Emma Peel was replaced. Oh, you know, so interesting. He might he might he might purposefully be doing like, you know, a generic it's you know, it's Steed and and his female accomplice. It's funny because for me I just sort of assumed that it was a bit of of contrarianism because I feel like the Avengers those characters pop up a lot in comics, uh, parodied and pastiche. And of course, everyone layers fetishistic levels of attention to Diana Rigg. And, yeah. you know, so to me, it was kind of like, oh, it's really hilarious that the person's like, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to take the time to really 
nail um you know john steed here uh old patrick doohan no well what's funny yeah patrick yeah patrick doohan sorry man. jimmy doohan mixed up with patrick whitney um <sighs> Yeah. I honestly thought you were meaning Patrick McGoon as well for a second. But yes. the other thing could be like it might just be easier to do a parody of 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 Steed. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, but or again, a character, I should say, not a parody. Yeah. 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 Maybe it is, but it's so it's so perfect. It's just perfect. Anyway, that's a little bit of. Um. So yeah. Let. So let's do this, Graham. Unless unless you have other things to discuss. Um. This is this is a three three round qualifier. Oh, good. Best and worst Wagner story, best and worst Grant story, and best and worst story by people writers oh, that are God. neither of them. Yeah. Okay. Best and worst Wagner. Best for me is Old Acquaintance, but Top Talks is up there. Mm. Worst is probably Virtual Unreality. Mm-hmm. Best and worst Grant. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. This is hard. That's hard. Best Grant is what in this book? I'm, I'm looking down the list. Oh, God, I really don't know. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I'm tempted to say Best Grant is Computer Warrior only because I like the Ron Smith art. No, I get it. I, honestly, Computer Warrior, even though it's really dated, if that had shown up like you know, in in complete case files five or six, I would have been like, that's pretty good. You know, like that's at the level of them as they start to hit their heyday. So, yeah. Honestly, uh, I was very worst, tempted to call, to that yeah. or, yeah. Worst is oh, probably parallel lines are beyond the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. Yeah. Um, best non-Wagner Grant is the John Smith one for me. He incorporated. Okay. Uh, with a very close second of Kinky Boots. Okay. And worst is... looking. Oh, you know what it is? It's Roboblock. It's the Simon Furman, Lee Sullivan, Kev Hopgood one. Mm, mm. Uh, if only because the idea of the end where it's like Dread, who's so warm that he's stripped down, but he's still got the helmet on, and he's like, I'm tough, was just... No, <laughs> bad. What about you? Um, okay, let me see here. Uh, best, it, okay, Wagner is tough because I think that he's got several strong pieces in here, but I think Top Dogs was the one where I was like, this is just great. Like, it was kind of, and it very much in, uh, I, I want to read Stronium Dog now. You know what I mean? Like, in a, like, oh, I want to read these characters, these characters. I'm, I, I get why these characters you're, are. You're like, I like these version of these characters. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I think that's probably the best. But, of course, Wagner's got a lot of stuff. You know, I think you pointed out Serial Killer is strong. Juice in the Hood ends up being incredibly strong for me. Um, you know, uh, Love Story 2, Feudile Attraction. So... All great, and the worst one for me is Call Me Mr. Nice Guy. Again, don't like it. Don't. I, I really did think it was Mark Miller, and Greg Staples continues to be deeply annoying to me, uh, generally. Bless him. <laughs> for Grant, uh, really tough. Like you said, Computer Warrior is competent, even though I literally tweeted you in a dead panic um, and completely horrified. 
I kind of liked Carry On Judging by the time we got you, to the end of it. You were panicked. I was. I was like, oh, I, can't, I don't know if I can do this. And by oh, the sorry, end, I just, I was I just like, looked up here saying, your message was actually Graham No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Feel free to screenshot that for the, for the notes if you want. Because, yeah. Um, and then there's so many really bad ones, but I have to give it up to Parallel Lines because, again, Brett, Brett Ewens just makes me want to pour bleach in my eyes. Um, that it's just another bad show. But, but by him. St- look, in terms of Brett Ewens, it's still better art than Christmas is canceled. Ah, now as we get to the non Wagner, non Grant. The worst for me, it's tough there because there's a lot of them that are bad. But Christmas is canceled is bad Brett Ewan's art and and a lazy Mark Miller script. What's amazing to me is is that he just needs to crank out another five or six Christmas Judge Dread stories because this is not the only one. The, the no, o- not the, the only last, in the last draw exactly. And I'm like fuck. Talk about a specific subgenre, you know, kind of like that weird way that um, there's the guy who was only adapting Stephen King prison, you know, stories into movies. Um, you know, it's like such a weird subgenre of specialty. But yeah, like 2080 has to get on it so that they can have the Christmas, the Mark Miller Christmas Judge Dredd collection because it. it <laughs> It's, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you could just have a computer write it. Anyway, that's my least favorite. My most favorite is is tough because it's either Judge Planet or Kinky Boots. Um, and and I, I like both of those a lot. I have to say, um, one of the things for listeners, this may or may not make a difference. Um, but what's interesting to me, I think is that, uh, we, I assume Graham like me reads the collections digitally. And so reading them on my tablet, um, as time has gone on for whatever reason, uh, unsurprisingly, I read them in single page view as opposed to reading it in landscape view where it's two pages per page, mm-hmm. which is more like a, a regular quote unquote book in the way that it's supposed to be presented. Uh, but there's literally only one, maybe there's two double page spreads in this entire volume. And that's kind of been the way for dread for a while. So I read it in single page view and and Judge Planet is wonderful to read as single pages because each each page is insane and literally gets more insane, which is which is wonderful. So um so yeah, what was the point of that? I don't think there was a point of that. Feel free to cut that part out, Graham, if you're editing. Um and even though I don't mention it as the worst grant story, and maybe I should, I think that Jonathan Livingston dog vulture is so terrible that I keep forgetting <laughs> it, it, that it is, exists. It's, it's really impressively bad. Yeah, it is. It is. It is arguably the drossiest story in here. So I guess it's got to be the worst Grant story. But there's other Grant stories that are they're somehow worse. Yeah, that are. I think because there's squandered potential. Like I think there was like parallel lines. I had that thing on the first couple of pages of like, oh, this may be interesting, and then it was like, no. And whereas Jonathan Livingston Dog Vulture, 
was I was like, oh Jesus, this from is the good. very very exactly, start, exactly, exactly, and fully delivered on on. Also, it. we should we should point out the, the really the point where you know Jonathan Living Dogs Livingston Dog Vulture is going to be terrible is not the title, but it kind of is. It's the fact that you have the title and then it says in brackets with a poem. <laughs> Yes, and that's the point. That's the point where you're like, "Well, yeah, this is just going to be trash." Yeah, yeah. It's just everything about it is bad. It's bad. I forget who draws it. Is it's not Smith it's again? Paul is Marshall. It? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's. Oh. And so, jo- Jeff, mm-hmm. Drock or Dross? For me, Drock. Uh, that really? it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is crazy, but but I would say. Let's put it this way. I feel like the last couple of case files have been kind of similar to this, where it's Wagner holding up half of the volume and then the other half of the volume is kind of scattered shit. And and I've and two of those I think I gave drosses to. And the and one of them I gave a drop to. And I, this one is this one to me, this one is worth it. Um for top dogs, uh, almost alone. But yeah, I would say I would say more than half of this volume is worth reading, and so I'm going to go with Drock. And I told you I, you disagree about this. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm genuinely kind of shocked. And yet, when you put it like that, I'm like, shit. Do I think it's Drock as well? <laughs> I think so. I I actually can't call it. To be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. I think it's it's. I do think it's pretty evenly split. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't call it. It it's it is certainly something I think is for completists only. Yes, I think it is. Yeah. I think it's very much something that feels like a B side collection. Like if you're a fan of the band, you'll get something out of it. But if yes. you're not, this is not going to convince you at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it it feels, uh, and and you know to an extent, all the res- this is true of all the restricted files. It feels entirely extraneous to to you know, quote unquote tread canon. Mm-hmm. Um. With the exception of, I guess, Top tr- Dogs, yeah, is very specifically referenced in in, uh, in Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess that sort of is quote unquote canon. Yeah. Um, but but there is like there's some great stuff here. Like I said, the Wagner stuff in here is really good. Mm-hmm. It is really good. Yes. Um, and there is some amazing artwork in here as well. Yeah. So yeah, I can't. I can't call it i genuinely can't i don't know where to go with this i get it i get it there is part of me that would feel like if someone turned around and was like yeah i picked this up on your recommendation i'd be like oh god i'm so sorry i am so sorry so yeah i know what you mean but for me ultimately it was more pleasurable than not and less of a chore than some of the other volumes have been so yeah that's what i could go with (laughs) we're like that's that's maybe good (laughs) yeah exactly exactly no it is not the it is not the 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 glory the golden age of the first year of this podcast where it was like holy shit this is like everyone was great yeah exactly exactly no we're not in that but so very much from the bargaining level of, of you know of the last few months of us doing this podcast, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I've suffered through worse, you know. So exactly, I, I've seen much worse than this. This 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 will be okay. Yeah, we can we can definitely call this. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, I'm going to start wrapping things up in that case. Yes. And I say that we're back in a month uh, for Judge Dredd Case Files 20, mm. which has, I mean, quite a writer lineup. Uh, there's Wagner in there, there's John Smith in there, there's more Morrison there, there's more Miller in there. Uh, Robbie Morrison, who writes the, the Kinky Boots story, mm-hmm. uh, has stuff in there as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 a very all over the place one. I think it has another Miller Christmas story. I might be wrong. But oh my God, please, please, Lord. I have to say, that is my special form of hate reading. <laughs> I want that collection like nobody's business. I want them to put it out. I promise to buy 10 copies just so I can burn them. Yeah. Rebellion, if you're listening, really, take Jeff off on this. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, that, that's a month. That's a month from now. Uh, in the meantime, there's going to be show notes for this episode up on uh, Monday on waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, I will at some point be posting in at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff is a Twitter account at Lacey Bassett at L-A-C-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a patron supported podcast and Drock, in fact, exists because of Patreon. And so Jeff is going to talk about it. Yeah, Patreon's great. We, I mean, we're deeply deeply indebted to our listeners for being so incredibly awesome and i have to say that's uh never i think more true than when it comes to drock because we have some absolutely fabulous listeners who weigh in uh with their own in many cases well not that it's hard when it comes to me but far more informed commentary and some really incredibly smart thoughts about dread the universe and the context in which these stories exist that I am super grateful for. Uh, and that is um, something that I feel uh, incredibly, um, what's the word, educated by, inspired by, lifted up, exalted, if if you will. And um, I, I feel that way generally, even despite battling my way through some really genuinely terrible Judge Dredd stories uh, in this volume, um, because uh, Dredd, as, uh, Drock, as, as Graham mentions, uh, exists entirely thanks to our listeners at Patreon. By throwing us some of their hard-earned dosh, we hit a stretch goal and did an extra podcast every month. Um, people may remember or may be interested if you didn't know about it, uh, about Baxter building our, um, 50 episode, uh, podcast reading through the first volume of fantastic four, uh, 416 issues, uh, there in, and also Drock, where we are working our way through the complete judge dread case files and assorted connected bits like this. Um, I mean, it's really been a, a, a wild ride for me, and I'm really grateful that uh, you guys inspired us to take it. Really want to give our thanks uh, to Dominic L. Franco. Mm, excuse me. I'll try that again. Our thanks to Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially grateful for their continuing support of the podcast. And uh, as I've mentioned before, you may not know this, but they are sort of our celestial defenders and looking out for us in the far reaches of the realm. Um, We're 
grateful to them uh, always, always, always. Graham? I am very excited to uh, get to another Christmas story for Judge Dredd. <laughs> It's Mark Miller. I can't tell you how excited I am. so much, and I really hope it is. I'm, re- you know, even more, I hope it's a Mark Miller Brett you wins one. Holy shit! Holy shit! Is, then be... I feel like you will just collapse. Oh, I, I feel like I will. That, I will. End of for real. Seriously, I would have a seizure. I really would. Oh, oh god. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, we're back with a wait what next week. And other than that, Jeff, it is Drock, so it means you sing us out. That's right. Um, I guess because this is a Drock, that's the time around now where I say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the Isocubes, and we'll see you in 30.